You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is old-timey, not old-timer, Jonathan Strickland. Hey, Harry, I'm here for this here purd kiss. Purd kiss. That's my my old timey voice, I guess. Hi, Ariel. This is brilliant. Thank you. Hi, Jonathan. Uh, I got a question for you. What is your go-to carnival slash fair slash amusement park snack food? You're at a... You're at a fair or a carnival or an amusement park. What's the sort of thing you you gravitate toward when you start getting a hankering for a snack? Uh, I can't eat the thing that I normally have a hankering for, which is French fries dipped in ketchup and mayonnaise. That's a double whammy no-no for me. Yeah, uh, the tomatoes <laughs> and the potatoes are both bad for you. The tomatoes or the potatoes. Um... I would say if you're going traditional carnival food, a corn dog and a funnel cake. You know, like the funnel cake is your side because you can't eat fries. <laughs> so, so fried dough and a hot dog. In fried dough. In yes. fried dough, yeah. It's hard because there are lots of carnival foods that 
do contain things that I can't eat. Sure. And also, I'm not very picky about which carnival foods I like, you know? So you put it in front of me, I'll probably eat it, especially if it's fried or includes ice cream. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What about you, Jonathan? Uh, I think my go-to typically is um, uh, one of the big pretzels with mustard. Mm. I like a big salty pretzel with mustard. Uh, yeah, I I gen, generally stay away from the sweet stuff at carnivals and amusement parks, largely because I do like rides. Uh, but I find that if I eat a lot of sweet stuff before I go on rides, I might not have that sweet stuff in my system for very long. So uh, I go for I, I go for like the salty rather usually. And um yeah, pretzels are kind of a go-to. Uh, I will say that uh, if I'm ever at Disneyland, one thing that I always want to grab before I leave is a churro. Oh, for me, if it's Disneyland, it's a Dole Whip. A pineapple Dole Whip. Oh, well, see, I can get those at Disney World anytime. The churros. Oh, at sorry, Dis- sorry. Disney World. I've never been to Disneyland. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Disney World. Active listening, Ariel. D- Disney World. Disney World is also. A do- I'm also big on Dole Whips. Uh, my wife and I will. We pretty much will have at least a Dole Whip a day <laughs> if we're there, <laughs> uh, including like I like the Dole floats. Like I like it in the pineapple juice. So that's 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 one of my favorites. It used to be that I'd always get a Ghirardelli uh, Sunday with dark chocolate fudge when I went to Disney World from um, Pleasure Island slash Paradise Springs slash whatever it's called. Disney Springs, yeah. Disney Springs, yeah. Well, we do want to have a a big group trip some point, or I do. I want to have a big group trip down there at some point, and I want to finally order the kitchen sink from Beaches and Cream. I don't know if I've had the kitchen sink. I have stayed at the Beach and Yacht Club Resort. Um, and gotten a really massive Sunday from there, but it may not have been the kitchen uh, sink. The, the, the kitchen sink literally has every ingredient in the store as part of it, and it comes in a kitchen sink bowl. You see, I, I Disney is good with flavors, but I have a feeling that that might get really close to like when you make a um, like when you go to the roller rink when you were a kid and you take all the soda drink oh, flavors yeah. you do and the, put them all the into suicide. One the suicide, which is a horrible name, right. but, uh, well, I mean, I have good news for you, Ariel, because they have a chocolate lovers version of the kitchen sink where it's just oh. all the chocolate flavors. That sounds amazing. That's, that's the one um, I would go for. And I probably would take like great. three bites and say, okay, I don't need any more of this. And I've just yeah. spent 40 bucks on some ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's interesting that you asked this question because I just found out the other day, there is a carnival themed little, uh, storefront that has opened next to my local grocery store that sells funnel cakes and hot dogs and ice cream and slushies and things. Wow. Yeah. So you you can't get any of the rides or the terrible games that are all rigged against you, but you sure can get that greasy food. Mm, Boy, howdy. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know what? Sometime I'm going to have to ask you your favorite Southern uh, snack because uh, there's going to be, there's going to be a boiled peanuts discussion here one way or another. Boiled peanuts are one of the few Southern snacks I really like. Um, we'll get into Southern food on another day because it's not that I hate Southern food, but I'm very particular because I'm I'm a Northern girl. Uh, so uh, speaking of particular, uh, yeah, <laughs> our first news great item. Segue. <laughs> thank you. Our first uh, news item. You've got to have a particular um, 
affinity to animation to, I think, really enjoy. There's a show coming out on March 1st on Netflix called Guardians of Justice. And much like Chippendale Rescue Rangers, the, the new movie, when I watched this trailer, I was not sure what was going on. It's every kind of animation you could put together with some love action for some sort of superhero space story. Jonathan, you you said you might know a little bit more about this. Yeah, so it's definitely a mixed media kind of thing. And it comes from the filmmaker uh, Adi Shankar, who was very, very successful early in his career. But turns out um, he was dealing with clinical depression. And he, he was under the impression that being successful would kind of bring him out of it. And it turns out that success and your, you know, mental health don't necessarily correlate one to one. And so uh, he started getting treatment for his depression. And he said once he got that, then he started getting this idea for this satire. So it is a satire on superheroes. Uh, looks like it's going to be very dark. Like, I don't think it's going to be the kind of satire where you're laughing out loud and rolling on the floor, but rather it's using the superhero uh, uh, milieu to deal with stuff that he was dealing with. And he also ended up casting people he knows uh, like that he's friends with into the project. For example, one of the two leads is played by former WCW and WWE wrestler Diamond Dallas Page, who plays he plays one of the superheroes, uh, one of the two main superheroes. And um, DDP, for those who don't know, is not just famous for being a wrestler. He's also really well known here in Atlanta as running a, uh, a yoga studio where he's turned people's lives around, in particular other like wrestlers. He's helped them deal with things like uh, addiction to substances and depression. And so I get a feeling like this is, it's almost like a type of therapy for Adi Shankar and that we're going to see maybe not even uh, something that could easily be described as a linear story, but more like mm -hmm. bits that kind of explore different elements of his psyche in the form of this multimedia superhero presentation. That's the best I can do to describe it. You have to kind of watch the teaser to even get a hint of what we're talking about. I mean, the animation styles range from claymation to uh, classic 2D hand-drawn animation to 8-bit video game animation. I mean, it runs the entire mm -hmm. gamut. To live action. And I... I Knowing that it deals with different aspects of his psyche makes it much more interesting. When I first watched the trailer, I actually thought it might be a, a Monty Python project because it had some similar yeah. Um, well, and I, visual. And I was getting a little bit of a Captain or, or a uh, Invincible vibe from it, right? Like mm -hmm. Invincible is also a a series that is kind of a satire on superheroes. So, um, well, if it's so good and so violent, yeah. It's it is it is good. It's violent. It does kind of explore like it, it goes a little deeper than your average superhero stories do. It, mm -hmm. it would be like I would group that in with things like Watchmen, you know, that Alan Moore series yeah. where, again, it's kind of deconstructing superheroes. I don't know how much deconstruction this the, the Guardians of Justice will do, but um, I feel like it is definitely going to be unusual my i don't know if it's going to be the unusual kind of thing that 
sticks with people or if it's going to be like through a scanner darkly. When those trailers came out, everyone's like, oh, this is really interesting. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about it since. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess we'll have to see. Real quick side note. Uh, Jonathan, I don't know if I told you this or if you know, uh, because you talked about DDP having a yoga studio in Atlanta. Did you know that one of the stunt women from Buffy has a coffee shop in Atlanta? I did not know that. Called Ground and Pound Coffee. That is a great name for a coffee shop run by a former stunt performer. It is. Uh, Speaking of stunts, uh, the NBA pulled a stunt recently. Yep, that's a that's fantastic. Uh, my hat is Thank off you. to you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm mugging into the camera that only Jonathan can see. Yeah, so uh, the Batman released a trailer for NBA audiences, and they did a very viral marketing thing where they started off the trailer like it was just their normal going into commercial, and then the kiosks on the front of the building that the game was being held in uh, turned into, like, the ju- uh, the Riddler uh, sort of messaging, and then you could see Batman and the bat signal above the building, and then it went into the trailer. Which, uh, honestly, and it, th- that trailer made me the most interested into the Batman thus far. Uh, yeah, you got to see a little bit more than just sort of the, the seven kind of uh, feel we've been getting from the Riddler-centric trailers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was neat. I thought the I thought the lead in to the trailer was very cringy for me personally. Like the oh. the the very the obviously staged something strange is happening here. Is that the Batman? And I'm like, oh, I wonder how much money they had to give that announcer for him to do that. <laughs> I mean, it felt very much like being at a Disney show, so I'll forgive it. Yeah, I just like. But it's all about context, right? Like, how do you know? How do you know this person who is telling you this thing? And if it's like someone that you know as a sports commentator suddenly leading into being part of this commercial, it, it gets a little, I don't know. It's a little much for me, but uh, the trailer was a good one. And um, uh, you also put on our lineup here the fact that Jordan Peele orchestrated a a uh, mass natural disaster by killing a whole bunch of birds to promote nope uh he he didn't create it i believe he <laughs> I, I like i had to look this up i thought that maybe it was another piece of viral marketing where he said hey this natural disaster happened nope is coming um we've talked about how how movies tend to do that and how sometimes that's some of the best marketing you can get but uh it turns out this was an actual like bizarre natural phenomenon that happened uh, where a a flock of birds all dove to the ground and and not all of them made it out. And I'm not going to go into it deeper than that because it is a little sad, especially if you're an animal lover. But then he posted that video with like a hashtag and little blurb about his movie is coming. And I don't know, that's on the one hand, it's clever and, and kind of serendipitous timing. But on the other hand, like, I don't know that I want to watch something real that's mildly upsetting in preparation for a pretend movie. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like if, you know, let's say that the Batman has a, a like it's the next Batman film has Batman going up against domestic terrorists. And then a month before the movie comes out, uh, there's a domestic terrorist incident in the United States. Maybe it's not super serious, but it happens. And then the next trailers for the Batman 
incorporate elements of that into them, it would be like, that's not cool. That's taking marketing in a direction I am not comfortable in. This one, obviously not nearly as extreme as the example I just gave. You could argue it's more mm-hmm. borderline. Um, you know, and of course he's feel is free to, to promote his film however he likes. But yeah, I, this one kind of hit a sour note for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll be interested to see if anything else ties in, but I, I don't think that he orchestrated an event that made it onto CNN unless CNN's really playing the long game with him. Um, we have one other story that we're going to touch on really quick that kind of leads into our discussion uh, today, and that's that we got a trailer for the Showtime show, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, the original, there was originally a book in the 60s and then a movie in the 70s that starred David Bowie. And now there's this television show about it, about uh, an alien who comes to Earth because his planet is dying and he's trying to figure out a way to get water back to the planet. Like, that's the original story. Um, and Jonathan was super smart and noticed that this story uh, is a continuation, it seems, of the first David Bowie movie. Yeah, I didn't know that at first. Like, I thought that this was going to be a retelling of that story. But no, Bill Nye is in the film and he's playing the character that David Bowie played in the 1970s era movie, which raises a lot of interesting questions, one of which is, when did the alien start aging? Because in the original movie, that's one of the plot points is that he doesn't appear to age. Um, and Bill Nye does not look like David Bowie, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that it seems to be a continuation of it. Um, I think the trailer looks compelling. Uh, it's definitely not, this is not like a, a rollicking space adventure style science fiction. This is more of a, using science fiction to explore things about us as human beings and things that we think are important or things we might ignore to our own peril and so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, a lot of science fiction novels and I guess movies and television, but more so when you actually read books, um, do focus on that, especially as you uh, go back in time to, to earlier and earlier science fiction novels. Um, so I, I think it's interesting. It looks absolutely wonderful to me. I don't currently subscribe to Showtime, but I may just have to again. Yeah, uh, it's definitely I think it's something that's definitely worth checking out. And I mean, the star power in the series is phenomenal. It's, you know, if yeah. you're going to make a science fiction uh, series, it's good to have stars in it. It's got Kate Mulgrew in it, uh, which if you don't know, she was <laughs> Captain Janeway in Voyager. <laughs> It's got Bill Nye in it. He was in Shaun of the Dead. Um, yeah. I mean, it's got Chiwetel Ejiofor, who is is in Doctor Strange. And is so. absolutely brilliant. Uh, a brilliant actor. Yes. Uh, yes. So, so we'll definitely have to keep our eyes on that. And when we come back, we're going to have a discussion about some older films that we feel uh, either are geeky themselves or are very important to the geekosphere. And that will come right after these messages. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. All right. Uh, before we get started, uh, we before we even started making up our lists, Ariel and I had a, a off the air discussion to kind of kind of like define things because originally the idea was just classic geeky films, but then you have to define what is classic. Like, are you talking about a specific era? Are you talking about a level of quality which is subjective? And we decided that um, anything before 1970, we're calling the classic era because uh, Ariel and I are of a certain age and we don't want to think about the eighties as being classic yet. Yeah. I mean, now like there are some films in the seventies that could maybe eke in if you're thinking star Wars or star Trek or Monty Python and the Holy grail, but even that's kind of pushing it. Yeah. Um, All of mine are earlier than that. Yeah. Most, most of mine are, um, I think I've just named all of them that weren't, well, maybe Young Frankenstein. I think Young Frankenstein was early 70s 70s as well. Yeah. But it it is interesting because there are lots of movies that we think of as geeky and and special, and so many of them get remade. But there are lots of movies that either 
helped develop our current loves and genres or were forerunners in it that kind of get forgotten. I've, I've, and I hate that. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way about like children's books. But then it also gets hard because the further back you go into movies, uh, the less they line up with our current social sensibilities. Yes. Um, yes. That's a, that's a kind way of saying that sometimes old movies can be really sexist and racist and homophobic. Yes, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Um, and, and some of them I can forgive. So like, I always talk about how I love the court jester, uh, which is an old musical. It's Robin Hood. So to me, that's geeky. It's, you know, medievally fantasy. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of like uh, traditional gender roles, I guess I would say, but in relation to the medieval period. And so um, stuff like that, I can kind of overlook sometimes. Um, but that's Court Jester is, yeah, it's a musical about Robin Hood stealing a baby with a birthmark on its booty. Um, <laughs> and the princess falling in love with him and, him causing a mess in court, trying to pretend to be someone he's not. It's hilarious. Um, but you know, it's set place, set place in it's set place in medieval time. Yeah. We're going to go with that. So, you know, it, their so their social system is not super progressive in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> the time it was made in was not a progressive time. And the time it was about was even less so. Um, yeah. Well, you like like I've got a whole list of different movies that I put down and a lot of these are ones again that I think of as being foundational for a geek culture, mm-hmm. not necessarily like I don't know if I would call it a geeky movie. Uh for example, uh, Metropolis, a a mm-hmm. night like we're talking about a black and white silent film, a German expressionist film, Metropolis, one of the earliest spectacle films that was ever made. Uh, there is science fiction elements throughout it, but it's really more of a, a story about kind of classism, you know, high, 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 the haves and the have nots really is what it boils down to. I mean, um, a lot of sci-fi focuses on that. Yeah. And a lot of the imagery from Metropolis kind of you can see reflected in other science fiction throughout the history mm-hmm. of films, really, and television. So I think of that as being one of those kind of cornerstones of geek culture. Now, not all of my films that I chose are in there. There's some others like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Nosferatu are also in that list. Those are also silent films, also instrumental in the way we view like monster movies and the mad Mm -hmm. scientist character, as well as uh, establishing certain film language that kind of uh, yeah. conveys like dread and terror and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But then I've got other ones like uh, for Goofy, I've got the Little Shop of Horrors, not the musical, but the original Roger Corman film. That is that which is very, very different. Um, the basic story not, is the same. <laughs> not as much fun. It's not as much fun, Jonathan. I mean, you've got you've got Jack Nicholson playing the uh, the the masochistic dental patient, the Bill Murray character from the musical version. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I like it. It's good. Yeah. it It's interesting. Cause when I was looking back through like a lot of the older movies that, that I like, uh, the incredible shrinking man, um, the fly, which I think also was a seventies. So no, the original, the original earlier that. than that, but 
Yeah, or, or any of the black and white monster movies or Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet was one of my favorites growing up. Of course it is, because your name is Ariel and Forbidden Planet <laughs> is based off The Tempest. <laughs> yes, but I would not have been able to tell you that because I didn't realize that or I forgot it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, a dude and his daughter get stranded on a planet and crazy things happen and there's a robot and... Um, an evil yeah. scientist. I used to get it confused with uh, Lost in Space. Um, <laughs> I could see why, but yeah, the, yeah, it's Forbidden Planet. It's not. It's not a direct adaptation of The Tempest, but it is clearly heavily inspired by Shakespeare's The Tempest. Um, and yeah. and if you didn't get the joke I was making at Ariel's expense earlier, there is a character named Ariel in The Tempest. Um, yeah, but a lot of those movies, because I realized I went on a long bunny trail. They they are sci fi, but they're also kind of scary. Like. Y- yeah, I, I put down Frankenstein, the Boris Karloff Frankenstein. And then just beside that, I put in parentheses and the Universal Monster movies like like those are also obviously they're foundational to the point where Universal continuously tries to reinvent a dark universe like mythology that connects all those movies together so that they can continue to make like a Marvel Cinematic Universe type thing, but with Universal Monsters instead of superheroes. It has not worked out for them, but those original movies are still really worth seeing. Uh, and I will echo what countless other people have said. Frankenstein is good. Bride of Frankenstein, even better. I agree. I agree. Um, along those lines, I also like uh, The Time Machine. <laughs> ah, H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells. Uh, the original movie used to... It was sci-fi. It used, Time Machine and 50,000 Leagues Under the Sea both used to scare the snot out of wow. me. Wow. Well, um, but it's small, early small sci-fi correction. that I remember. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but... 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yes. I was so scared, it, I added a whole bunch of extra leagues. The, you, were, you, went, you went too deep. You're in too deep, Ariel. Too deep. Uh, ah! One of the ones I listed, Nigh the Living Dead. A very important oh, film yeah. in in the horror genre and in drama. I mean, like, think of how there are countless movies and TV series where the George Romero style zombies are your go to threat. And uh, whether it's The Walking Dead or Shaun of the Dead, which has direct references to the Night of the Living Dead. Like what my favorite line in that movie is they're coming to get you, Barbara, which is in the very beginning of the movie. And then in, in mm-hmm. uh, Shaun of the Dead, you have a bit where they're calling Sean's mom and they say, Barbara, we're coming to get you. And, and I'm just like, oh, cute. It's a direct reference to the yeah. to the to the uh, the film. And that's also fun fact in the public domain, because uh, famously the, the story is very famous now that the the when they were making the film and when they were filing it, they failed to file for copyright. So the film was never copyrighted, which means anyone can make any as many copies of Night of the Living Dead and distribute it however they like with no penalty. Uh, I heard that Steamboat Willie might be uh, close to getting into the public domain. That Steamboat Willie, I believe, is this year. I think that version of Mickey is in public domain this year. Uh, the That's an interesting case because every Mickey Mouse cartoon is under its own copyright. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a rolling public domain. So Steamboat yeah. Willie version of Mickey is, is public domain, but that doesn't mean modern Mickey is. 
Yeah. So when I was looking into this, because again, I, I there were so many movies that I loved growing up that I'm like, I, I want people to look at these and remember these because they were before my time and I enjoyed them. And I don't want that knowledge or that art to get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, I wonder what like the first sci-fi movie made was and and what one of the earliest like superhero movies was. Not not necessarily like King Arthur or or Robin Hood, but or something more like that. And um as far as sci-fi, it's Trip to the Moon. Uh, ah, a trip yes. to the Moon. Le Voyage dans la Lune. Yeah, so if you've ever seen like uh, the picture of the man in the moon with like a spaceship sticking out of his eye. Uh, yeah, that's that's that. Uh, which is 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 pretty much that they went to the moon and they found things. Um, but <laughs> so as far as superheroes, <laughs> it's a great summary of I the mean, plot. Thank you. Uh, some of the first superhero uh, movies were Zorro, Flash Gordon, and Buck Rogers. And yeah, Zorro is an awesome superhero who is still relevant today. So I mean, he's a hero. Well, anti-hero? No, he's a he's a hero. I was just I don't know he's that a he's hero. a superhero because he doesn't have super he's superpowers. Super. He's, I, you know, look, if Hawkeye can have a dude whose superpower is the swordsman, uh, Zorro can be a a superhero. Okay. Um, But Batman's a superhero. Batman doesn't have superpowers. Mm. Batman's a vigilante. (laughs) Jonathan. Okay, okay. I'll I'll behave. (laughs) But I mean, it's one of those things that like a lot of superheroes were based, you know, based off of, of similar tropes well and you you had these these sort of pulp films that would come out where they were shorter they weren't like they were done in chapters typically uh and Mm -hmm. they were usually paired with other stuff you would go to a movie theater and you would watch a a reel of different things and some of them would include chapters of these stories and that's you know some of these would also end up being uh, radio shows and later on television series and again they really did kind of create the the foundation for mainstream pulp entertainment, which you could argue mm-hmm. is like the great grandfather to current geek culture. Geek. Yeah. There, there's one more movie I, I want to mention. Yeah. Um, and it's a little more recent. It's based off a book again. It's a 19, it's a movie from 1970 and the animation is not great, but it's the phantom toll booth. Ah, I'm in the doldrums now. Yes, it, the Phantom Tollbooth story is all about math and language and, and a fantastical adventure in a land that is based all upon that. Um, and they made a movie about it. And it's some of my favorite sort of child fantasy, child um, focused fantasy that's been made. And a lot of stuff has been built off of it, like a series of unfortunate events, I would say, is very inspired by. Uh, Phantom Tollbooth because they play with language and knowledge of communication the same sort of way. Mm -hmm. But so few people know about Phantom Tollbooth anymore. Well, and I I feel like that that Phantom Tollbooth owed a lot to like Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass because Lewis Carroll also had a lot of fun with language. I mean, the whole Humpty Dumpty chapter is just a being playful with language and being snarky about it. Um, I got a few others I just want to give shout outs to. Some of which are like like Little Shop of Horrors is not a good movie. It is an entertaining movie. <laughs> but I mean, that's also supposedly was a movie that was made after Roger Corman made a bet with someone that he could make a movie on like four hundred dollars in two days. And that's that was the result. That's the, the that's a, 
a version of the rumor. I don't know what the actual rumor is at this point. I'm just going off memory. But how about how about the most uh, what's often referred to as the worst movie ever made? Plan nine from outer space. Ah, the room is worse. Uh, I would argue that the room is also. Well, I don't know if I would argue that the room is not a, a geek movie. Yeah, I don't know that I would call the room worse either. Plan nine from outer space is really bad. Uh, I would say that I'd say they're both really bad in different ways. Is it worse than Manos Hands of Fate? Okay, see, these are all like different movies that are bad in different ways. Like Manos has some real bad problematic stuff in it, <laughs> like like really bad. And so does The Room. Uh, Plan Nine is just dumb. Um, then like The Tingler, William Castle's The Tingler, which was uh, I would say that a whole William Castle's whole thing was that he made very gimmicky uh, types of movies, including gimmicks in the theater itself to, to try and enhance the movie experience. But that I would say would feed into things like, you know, there are some movie theaters that have seats that are on like motors and they'll blow smoke in your face and water in your face and all that kind of stuff. All that I would argue dates back to the William Castle days. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, very important science fiction film that I think needs to be mentioned. Wizard of Oz. I don't think you can talk about you know the the geek culture without mentioning wizard mm-hmm. of oz or psycho it's weird to pair those yeah. two together but i think of those as both being fundamentally important in in certain aspects of geek culture i agree i agree um uh, one of one of the movies that nobody remembers but me that is a fun old old sci-fi also problematic but still fun is queen of outer space um it's about Amazon women who live on the moon. Zsa Zsa Gabor is their leader, and she's got a horribly scarred face. Uh, and she wears a mask. Obviously a, an inspiration for the actual gonzo comedy sci-fi film, Amazon Women on the Moon. Yes. Which really yes. isn't a sci-fi film. It's more of a sketch film. Satire. Yeah. Well, it's not <laughs> even a, it's like, it, it's like, what if you had a whole bunch of different ideas for weird juvenile sketches and you wanted to link them together somehow. That's kind of what that movie is. Um, Oh, there is one other movie we should mention that I, it would not be considered a geek movie. Yeah. But I think, uh, has a lot of, uh, a lot of ties into geek culture and that's Harvey. Yes. And we will be talking about Harvey more when we come back. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Okay, so before we get into this, this uh, the, the mashup we're doing today comes courtesy of our friend Shay, who asked if we could do a mashup of Harvey and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, and Shay is a near and dear friend to us. We love you, Shay. And so here we're going to do that. But first, let's talk about Harvey, which started off as a stage play, but then was adapted into a film um, and... Ariel, do you want to talk about Harvey at all, or do you want me to take that one? Um, I can talk about Harvey. So Harvey is a story about Elwood P. Dowd, who one day met a giant puka, giant rabbit, who's invisible to everybody else, and he just loves taking Harvey to bars and listening to people's life stories and aspirations, and most of his friends accept him, but Elwood P. Dowd's sister and cousin, I think, don't. And they try to have him. Um, they try to have him uh, committed to a sanitarium, and uh, it's, it's all about him convincing people that Harvey exists. The entire movie plays with with the concept of is Harvey real or a, a part of Elwood P. Dowd's imagination? Is it dangerous? Is it you know fine? Um, and and it's really interesting. And there's lots of little stuff that just hints that Harvey is very real. And it's a heartwarming story. It stars Jimmy Stewart. And uh, yeah, that's Harvey. Yeah. Did I miss anything? It's no, no. I think, I think you pretty much nailed it. It, it is sweet. And like for most of it, the stage plays a little different, but for most of the movie, it's kind of left up to the audience to decide is Harvey real or is Elwood Dowd crazy and, or just imagining things due to his, uh, apparent alcoholism <laughs> because he does drink mm-hmm. a lot 
in that a movie. lot. <laughs> um, pretty much, he's pretty much always on his way to get a drink or just coming back from getting a drink in that film. The other one we're we're putting in here is uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which came out in 1988. Uh, it was a, a truly uh, transformational movie at the time because it brought together. Uh, entities that had never appeared together before, like Warner brothers cartoons and Disney cartoons appearing in the same movie. Uh, It was unthinkable. Like if you, you know, if you were a fan of Disney back then or heck Disney now, (laughs) you wouldn't expect to see other cartoons. It would be like seeing MC scat cat in the background of Chippendale rescue Rangers. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah, that's happening. They they actually I love that that also comes in the scene where they make a reference to Roger Rabbit doing the Roger Rabbit. I'm, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's 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 a modern day Roger Rabbit is what Chippendale's going to be. Yeah. So Kinda. so it's based off a uh, uh, a novel called Who Censored Roger Rabbit? Uh, but Who Framed Roger Rabbit follows the story of Eddie Valiant, who is a, a down on his luck, alcoholic private eye who gets pulled in to investigate uh, what first appears to be a cheating scandal uh, between a, a a movie producer and a cartoon character. And then quickly it it, uh, evolves to being something much more sinister. And uh, Eddie ends up inadvertently getting teamed up with Roger Rabbit, the, the title character who is um, a, a very, animated in more than one sense rabbit with lots of uh goofy comedy to his name and so we're mashing up this sweet sentimental film and this sort of zany uh detective noir story (laughs) and who knows what's gonna come out of the other side all right so i'm gonna start and for this this title has nothing to do with my story, but um, it's all I could come up with, which is who framed Harvey rabbit. Sorry if that's the same as yours. No, you're good. Okay. So Elwood P. Dowd was known as the man with the invisible rabbit friend, Harvey. It had caused him issues in the past, but nowadays everyone believed and loved the big old puka and everyone was happy until one day when Harvey went missing. Now it's not that Harvey didn't sometimes go away for a while. It's that this time when Elwood P. Dowd woke up one morning. Instead of Harvey, there was a new rabbit, a shorter, more animated, and much louder rabbit who introduced himself as Roger. At first, Elwood doubted his own sanity, but Roger seemed really real. And Elwood's like, well, if I can believe in one puka, or can I believe in another giant rabbit? He asked Roger why he was there, and Roger said that he was on a bunny exchange program. Elwood said he wasn't interested in participating in the bunny exchange program and to please go home and send Harvey back. But Roger begged, please, mister, give me a chance, please. So Elwood did. Roger tried to be helpful around Mr. Dowd's house, but all his attempts to help Elwood resulted in disaster and destruction. So Elwood took Roger to the local bar, Bar Charlie's and began to introduce Roger to his friends and strangers there, expecting the usual larger-than-life rabbit to charm them by listening to their stories and dreams. And he was surprised that the patrons of Charlie's could see Roger. But instead of listening to the patrons' stories, Roger began trying to make the patrons laugh, and his stand-up routines were falling flat, so he resorted to slapstick on the patrons. Also known as pranks, 
which didn't go very well, and Elwood and Roger were both kicked out of Charlie's. Elwood, frustrated and missing Harvey, went to bed. The next morning when he awoke, Harvey was still not there. Roger still was, and so was a voluptuous cartoon woman who Roger introduced as his wife, Jessica. Sure that his sister Veta would cry scandal if she found the woman in Elwood's bedroom, he quickly ushered them out of the house. But you see, they couldn't go to Charlie's because they had been kicked out. And Roger said that he knew just the place. So he took them to a club called the Ink and Paint Club. And at this Ink and Paint Club, there were tons of animated characters everywhere. And like maybe two real people. Elwood had had it. He, he must be losing his mind. So he decided to check himself into the sanitarium. One bunny, maybe a gal, was believable, but he felt he was falling further and further into madness. Unfortunately, the animated characters followed him all the way to the sanitarium, and the sanitarium people, able to see the cartoons, wouldn't admit Elwood. And Elwood couldn't go home. Veta and Myrtle May would not accept this kind of nonsense, and he couldn't shake the tunes, so he found a cheap motel and locked himself away. When he awoke in the morning, his motel room was filled with all of the animated tunes. Feet in his face people hanging from ceilings, making a ton of noise, and Dowd had had it. He figured the only thing left to do was to leave town. He distracted the tunes with a banana peel on the floor and headed for the bus station. He was just about to board the bus and leave home forever when he saw a familiar fuzzy face, Harvey standing across the street waving at him. Dowd was so relieved. Harvey explained that he had had to go to Toontown to help so solve some problems there for his dear cousin Roger, but it caused a rift and sent all the tunes to Dowdstown too. Elwood was thrilled to see Harvey, and Harvey helped shoo all the tunes out of Dowd's motel home and town and vowed never to leave Dowd again. The end. Aww. I like your Roger Rabbit uh, impression. Oh, thank you. It was <laughs> not, uh, I can't, like, I can't actually do it. I can't, like, the, I I've, I tried. I tried yeah. for, like, an hour to do the, yeah. Yeah, I can't do it either. It's that weird cheek thing. All right. Well, here's mine called Dowd in Toontown. <laughs> Elwood P. Dowd has a problem. His old partner, Eddie Valiant, was killed by a tune. Dropped a piano on his head. Or at least that's what Elwood tells everyone. See, Elwood is a private eye, but it's been ages since he's taken on a case. Well, he's taken on quite a few cases, actually. Cases of booze! Elwood lives on the edge of Toontown, a part of Los Angeles populated entirely by cartoons. Except here's the thing. No one else sees them. No one. Nope, for everyone else, this is just a shabby part of Los Angeles, with a few stores still trying to cash in on the glitz of Hollywood, peppered between bars and empty storefronts. It's a bad part of town. But to Elwood, it's Toontown, populated by cartoon characters of all sorts. There's Popeye the Sailor Man, there's Mickey Mouse, there's Bugs Bunny, there's Chip and Dale, though... Dale seems not quite right these days. There's all Fleischer cartoon <laughs> characters mixing with Tex Avery characters and more besides. There's cartoons from all different eras, including future ones. My Little Ponies canter next to Transformers. Hanna-Barbera cartoons tried to get into the finer establishments, which regularly turned them away because they are bad cartoons. It's a rich tapestry of cartoonish adventure, except only Elwood sees it. This doesn't bother Elwood, really. In fact, he seems like a pretty jovial guy. Kind-hearted, generous, friendly. He does get sad on occasion, thinking back to his old buddy, Eddie. But he knows Eddie wouldn't want, would want him to, to carry on. Of course, 
The outside world views Elwood as more than a little odd. Some folks think of him as simply being eccentric, always two drinks in further than he should be. Others think he's just downright crazy, but a harmless kind of crazy. And besides, he's a nice fella. One day, Elwood stumbles into his regular bar, his left arm hanging oddly from his shoulder, and Mr. Cracker, the bartender, says, You all right there, Elwood? Oh, sure I am, Mr. Cracker, says Elwood. It's just my exuberant friend here accidentally managed to cuff himself to me, and I seem to have misplaced my keys, so I suggest we retire here while I remember where I put them. And Elwood then holds up his left hand, and dangling from his left hand is a pair of handcuffs. One cuff cuffed around nothing. And he lowers his hand quickly and says, oh, sorry about that, Roger. Where, where are my manners? Mr. Cracker, I'd like you to meet Roger Rabbit. And Mr. Cracker gives a slightly puzzled, sad smile. He knows Elwood well enough by now. Pleasure to meet you, Roger. What'll well, it be, Elwood? Oh, I think a scotch would suit me just swell, Mr. Cracker. How about you, Roger? Nothing. But come on, it's not fair to leave a man drinking alone. Well, Mr. Cracker sets down a glass of scotch and a glass of water. Just till he makes up his mind, he says to Elwood. Well, 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 thanks very much, Mr. Cracker, says Elwood. Well, just then the bar door opens and a very tall, very thin man, dressed all in black, walks in. He wears a black hat and black sunglasses, almost like goggles over his eyes. Your Honor, what brings you in tonight? asks Mr. Cracker. The tall, thin man walks slowly over to Elwood and looks at him in an almost clinical way and then slowly takes a seat at Elwood's right hand. Business, Mr. Cracker. If I could have a seltzer, please. Right away, Judge, says Mr. Cracker. Elwood looks up and smiles. Judge, well, pleased to meet a fellow lover of justice. I'm Elwood P. Dow, Judge. The man smiles a mirthless smile. Doom, Mr. Dowd. I'm quite pleased to make your acquaintance as well. Your sister sends her best wishes. Elwood grins. Vera, well, she, that sure is sweet of her. Your sister is concerned for your welfare, Mr. Dowd, and she was hoping I might be of some assistance, says Judge Doom. Oh, well, there's no need to go into any trouble. I, I'm right as rain. In fact, as soon as I get uncuffed from Roger, I'll be just about perfect, says Elwood. Judge Doom's eyes dart over to Elwood's left cuffed hand with the cuff just left there dangling. Yes, I see. Well, Mr. Dowd, I was hoping you might accompany me to meet with a friend of mine, a Dr. Chumley. He runs a sanatorium not far from here. Perfect place to get a little bit of rest, says the judge. Well, that sounds very nice, Your Honor. If I should ever find myself in exhaustion, I'll know just who to look up, says Elwood, without an ounce of guile. Indeed, says the judge. Well, time for me to dip out. Lots to do. And with that, the tall, thin judge leaves. Elwood spends a good couple of hours in the bar, drinking, chatting amiably with other customers, plus the bartender, and occasionally chatting with Roger. But eventually it's time for him to head home and find those darn keys. So he pays his tab and heads out the door. But he's only walked a step or two before a huge net descends upon him and a group of Weasley guys usher him into the back of a paddy wagon. Next thing he knows, he's whisked off to the sanatorium where he's admitted immediately. He sees a man, presumably Dr. Chumley, meeting with Judge Doom. The orderlies get into a bit of a disagreement with each other and Elwood, doing his best to be polite and stay out of the way, has a little chat with Roger. 
Well, apparently Roger needs to go back to his home and grab his toothbrush if he's going to stay over, and Elwood agrees that's reasonable, so the two just walk right out, and they hail a cab, and they head back to town. Well, inside, Doom and Chumley quickly realize that Elwood has, quote-unquote, escaped, so they leave to track him down. And we get a montage of Elwood going around different parts of shabby Los Angeles, presumably to get belongings so that they can stay over at the sanatorium. And all along the way, Elwood has conversations with various famous cartoons, though we can't see any of them. We just hear his side of the conversations, which are always pleasant and amiable. Eventually, Elwood bumps into Dr. Chumley, and Chumley says, There you are! Yes, I'm here, says Elwood cheerfully. I think we have just about everything we need to stay in your lovely facility. Dr. Chumley, at a loss for words, sees that Elwood has a bar of soap, uh, a toothbrush, and some other odds and ends. Uh, oh, very well, I suppose we, we should get you back then. Happy to oblige, says Elwood. Say, you wouldn't happen to have any spare handcuff keys, would you? This poor fellow has been stuck to me for ages. And he holds up his left arm. And Dr. Chumley turns to look and he stops dead in his tracks, staring at the handcuff. What? Uh, that... I think we we might just have some, Mr. Dowd. That, that would be wonderful, Doctor. I, I, I sure do think it wouldn't be fair for Roger to have to stay there if I'm the one who needs to rest, says Elwood. Dr. Chumley says, I think I need to sit down. Well, I know just the place, says Elwood. And with that, he takes Dr. Chumley back to the bar, where the two, well, three, sit and chat. With Dr. Chumley also occasionally appearing to speak to Roger. You know, the imaginary cartoon. Cuff to Elwood. Are we the only ones who can see him? Asks Dr. Chumley. You know, I hadn't given it much thought, says Elwood. He looks over to his left hand. Well, if you're sure. And with that, the cuffs on Elwood's left hand jump up for a second, then fall slack. Huh. What do you know? He could take them off the whole time, says Dr. Chumley. No, not at any time. Only when it was funny, says Elwood. And the two laugh. <laughs> Outside, lurking beyond the bar door. A man in black stands, clenching his fists. Behind his dark glasses, red lights glow, and we hear him let out a high-pitched laugh. Cut to credits. I love that, Jonathan. It was so <laughs> heartwarming and wonderful. Uh, if they do a Jimmy Stewart biopic or another one, if they've already done one, you are my choice to play <laughs> Jimmy Stewart. Uh, wonderful. The, Dana Carvey can can definitely take that role from me. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> that was a lot of fun to do. And, and, you know, I don't know about you, Ariel, but sometimes I have an idea of how things are going to turn out when I start and it turns into something totally different by the time I finish. Uh, because when I started this, I thought I was going to go like really dark psychological kind of grim stuff. But as I was writing it, I was like, no, I can't because Harvey is such a sincere, earnest, sweet movie that it just doesn't work if you do that. Well, that's just the sign of being a good writer. I do. I do have those moments this week. I had no idea where I was going, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I do have those moments, you know, and, but like I said, that's a sign of a good writer and you know, maybe you've got a heart of gold in there. Yeah. Somewhere keep it's in this room, writing I, some sweet stuff. 
probably next to like all the books and stuff. Well, if you have any thoughts on a mashup between Harvey and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, or maybe you've got suggestions for mashups that we should do in future episodes, one way you can get in touch with us is to send us an email. The address for the show is lnc at iheartmedia.com. Yep, you can also reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. On Instagram and Facebook, we are Large Nerd Drunk Collider. On Twitter, we're LNC underscore podcast. You know, let us know what old movies that you'd consider geeky or your gateways into to geeky movies might be or things you think for, people have forgotten about. Or if we've inspired you to watch an old movie that maybe you haven't seen before, let us know about that, too. And until next time, I am Jonathan Boop Boop Badoop Strickland. And I am Ariel. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Casting. Yowza. The Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. This show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.